Comic Book Decalogue, a program courtesy of the Comics Journal. My name is Greg Hunter, recording from Minneapolis, Minnesota, where the cold heart of winter can't keep me from podcasting. Why Decalogue, you might ask? Well, on this podcast, we ask the same ten questions to a different cartoonist with each installment. Though that is and isn't true in this case, because on this episode, we're swapping one item out for a wholly new question. We are the Lexus of list-based comics podcasts, and you can count on that. The relentless pursuit of... I I don't know cars. I don't know if that's still the slogan. Uh, I knew how to drive stick and forgot. That's true. Wit Taylor is the guest this time around. Wit just released Ghost Stories a collection of three pieces through Rosarium Publishing. And if you haven't already, I recommend you check it out. Each comic in Ghost Stories is very different, which in itself is exciting, but in all of them you'll find a building up of meaning in subtle but really satisfying ways. These are comics that really engage you with emotional honesty and real storytelling savvy too, and it's a treat to have Wit on the show. If you're coming to this as a fan of hers, by the way, and you want to listen to future episodes or earlier episodes, everything is available at tcj.com or at the iTunes store under TCJ Talkies. It's a long story. Anyway, thank you for listening. Go get ghost stories and enjoy 10 Questions with Whit Taylor. Congrats on Ghost Stories coming out. This is the first, like, book-length collection of your stuff. Is that right? Uh, yeah, that's correct. And thank you. For sure. I guess I'll segue into the first question on the list now. Uh, what's the last comic you finished reading? So, the last comic, um, or, like, graphic novel I finished reading was um, Dissolving Classroom by Junji Ito. And this was, like, my first time reading any of their work, a friend told me about this book, and it was awesome. It was uh, really creepy. Yeah, it just makes me really want to get more into, like, horror comics. Um, It was great. This is, like, a collection of short stories that are all connected. There's, like, the brother and the younger sister, where they just end up showing up to these different, um, either, like, villages or cities, um, and it shows, like, their specific interactions with different, you know, victims. How did you come across the dissolving classroom? Um, yeah, I was just, like, talking about comics with a friend one night, and they recommended it, so I just picked it up, and, um, yeah, it's not, it was, like, like I said, it wasn't, like... The usual types of things that I tend to read, so it again like encouraged me. I'm like, I need to start like pushing myself again to read things that I don't normally um, gravitate towards. It was, it was really good. Now, do you read much horror outside of manga, or were were both the the genre and the the comics tradition, you know, things that you're that are not on your usual reading slate? Yeah, I mean, I, I read, I read, um, I read some manga. But yeah, I, and I guess if I'm reading horror, it tends to be manga. But like, I don't actually. Recently, I haven't read a lot of manga, and I haven't read a lot of horror. So I guess this was just kind of coming back to something that was of interest to me, but that I hadn't really been reading recently. When when you are reading horror, how uh, I guess visceral do your responses tend to be to the scare? Because I feel like that is something that's a very uh, individual experience you know the way the way a person reacts to horror even among you know horror fans yeah and you know i used to be a really big 
a fan of horror films. Um, you know, when I was like in high school, I was really into like the really bad like B movies from like the eight, the seventies and the eighties, um, and you know some I guess current stuff as well. But I I like like psychological horror things, things that are just like disturbing from that level. Not as much like slasher sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I found like what I react to viscerally with with this is. Um, so I guess the I guess I don't want to like spoil it too much, but there's this thing where like the brother causes these deaths and like the bodies kind of they dissolve, and then the sister like eats the brains. And but the way that it's drawn is just like her eyes are like popping out of mm-hmm. her head, and she's like <laughs> circles around. Her. It's just like I don't know something about it is just like very like all the the gross like melting body parts is just yeah. I had a strong visceral reaction, but it, I, I also kept re- reading. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Now your work, of course, is you know far, far less connected to horror than the title of of your collection or the the title story might imply. But is that the type of genre you could ever uh, envision yourself working in? To be honest, no. <laughs> um, it's something that you know. Like I said I like horror films. I. I'm getting more interested in reading those types of comics, but in terms of my own work, it's just not something I've ever like con- considered doing. And like you said, like yeah, my, my new book is called Ghost Stories, but it, they're not like literal ghost stories. They're more it's more figurative. So, but I guess in a sense, I am you know I, I was playing with this whole idea of like haunting. So it's horror in, in a way, mm-hmm. I guess. Let me ask you question number two now. What cartoonist doesn't get enough praise? Oh man, there's so many. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, I guess there's like two people that came to mind. So, but the person I was, first came to mind was Annie Murphy, who has you know been around for a while. Um, I believe they're from Portland, but I could be wrong. But I, I recently read a series of mini comments they did called um, "I Never Promised You a Rose Garden," um, and it's about the life of River Phoenix and a lot of the people that he was associated with, um, oh, wow. especially in the Portland scene. Um, and it's fantastic. And I think, like, I think I heard that like Domino Books might be distributing it. Like, I'm, I'm not quite sure, but. Um, I've, I've always liked Annie's work. I think there's a lot of depth to it. The, I mean, the art's beautiful, but there's just so much soul and like sadness and like there's so much to that story. I'm like, I would like to see this as a as a book. I mean, uh-huh. who knows what future holds? But I think their work is fantastic. Now, I think you and I are about the same age, uh, which means I think we came of age at the tail end of the stardom of River Phoenix and his passing. Were there things in the book that were surprising to you in that way about about his life or the way Annie uh, handles it? Yeah, I guess a little bit. I mean, I, I knew that he was born, or I don't know born to, but like grew up in a cult. Uh, I think it was a Children of God cult and managed to escape and so there was a lot of like trauma coming from that cult experience which like kind of you know affected his life going forward and then when he was in portland um i think it was gus van sant who was um he was working with and it's just interesting to hear about like some of the um inappropriate and predatory things that happened when he was younger and how that maybe having been groomed in a cult, how that affected some of his, like what happened to him later in life. Um, it seems like it was something that he was never fully able to recover from. Um, so like I said, it's super sad, but it also gives more insight into his life. Cause I think that 
like you said, we're we're probably the same age, and I think of River Phoenix. I just think of him being this like star, you know, lean on me and other other things, but like being like a star in the '90s and what happened to the Viper Room and all of that. But there's like so much more to it. But stand by me, not leave me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and with respect to Annie Murphy's work, is that the best place for a new reader to start? Would you say should they they be keeping the eye their eyes on the Domino Comic Solicits? Yeah, I would, I would say so. I also edited um, an anthology for Sparkplug a few years ago. I can't, I'm like, can't remember the name right now, but it was really is, good. Uh, Gay um, Genius? Like I, Gay Genius, is that right? Yeah, yeah that's correct. Um, so I'd say those would be two good starting points. Cool. And, and uh, what's the most widely loved comic you can't connect with? So I don't know if this is like... When I say widely loved, I'm thinking of like just the general population. Um, sure. I would have to say the sculptor by Scott McLeod. Mm-hmm. That's a, a, a interviewee <laughs> favorite at this point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's hard. I don't know. I I love like the books, like you know, understanding comics and all of those things. Um, but I just a lot of what I saw in those books that. I thought were great. I didn't necessarily see translated into into the sculptor. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Do you want me to go in more detail about that? Well, only only uh, within your comfort zone, I suppose. Uh, no, I, I just um, I thought that there was something about it that was a little stiff, um, and I I didn't quite care for the story. So I, I wanted to like it, but I just I just didn't. Yeah, that book is interesting to me in terms of the reception and the successes and failures where you would think, uh, you know, in a perfect world, uh, someone who's so adept about speaking about art and has some storytelling chops, you know, then undertaking a a story about art, a sort of perfect circle would form there and you'd have a really satisfying work. And yet it seems like uh, in in the minds of a lot of comics readers, the end result is something uh, somewhat removed from that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's a good way to say it. it even if it was like good in some ways technically, I, I don't. I think that there's more. There's more that was needed to like connect with with readers. So, yeah, no, that was my choice. No, we can edit this next part out if need be. But I, I, I think you mentioned with respect to what cartoonists don't get enough praise. Uh, that you had two people in mind. I wanted to make sure I wasn't skipping over another answer. Okay, of yours. Sorry, I forgot. Um, I was going to say Megan Turbitt. I, I like Megan's work as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think Megan Turbitt is great. I think she's a humorist, and I think that her work is really smart. And I think that what's great about it is, like, the, the presentation is very simple in certain ways, but if you actually really, like, like there's there's definitely, like, strong concepts behind each book or mini-comic that she puts out. Sure. So I would, I would love to see a collection from her at this point. Yeah, I liked uh, the, the Self Magazine release. A lot. Yeah, Self was great. That was one of my favorites that she did. You know, I don't want to draw too neat a line under things either, but hearing you say that is interesting to me in light of a a story uh, like Wallpaper, which is in your collection, Ghost Stories, in that, you know, they're both works that I think use uh, what what the individual story calls for in terms of comics, but is not, I don't beholden to any rigid set of of comics formless rules. You know, it it takes what it needs and, and the works operate you know, on their own terms there. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, that story in particular, I kind of wanted to challenge myself to do something that was a little bit different than, like, a conventional comic format. Um, 
and to kind of uh, use the images to, to drive the story, but in a, in a different sort of way. So I, I agree with you. Uh, now, our, our fourth question now. You can send one comic back in time to yourself at 14. What is that comic and why? Um, my comic choice would be um, 100 Demons by Linda Berry. I mean, I I read, like, when I was 14, I was probably reading, like, Archie comics and things like that. But I wish that a book like this existed for, like, multiple reasons. I think what I like about that book is... It's just a big, it's just like excellent storytelling. And it, it shows that storytelling is more than like just the art or just the text. She's able to use like humor and introspection and all these things to address like both serious issues and just, you know, everyday superficial issues. But she does it in such a, such a smart way. And I think that had I seen work like hers, even visually being like, oh, she's not super technical drunk, but she doesn't need to be for mm-hmm. these purposes art is serving the story the way it needs to and I think that that would have been encouraging especially given like the way I draw I think that would have been nice for me <laughs> now when when you uh, came to start reading those more experimental or or more literary comics what were the first watershed moments for you there so I would say so I started reading that type of stuff I guess when I was in college so some of the first books that I was able to get just at like a local mm-hmm. bookstore were the books that Jeffrey Brown put out back then. It was, like, clumsy and, like, I can't remember that. Like, you know that, that like, trio of, like, the relationship comics? I read those. I read some Alex Robinson, like, Box Office Poison um, and some of his earlier stuff like that. Charles Burns' Black Hole. Like, those are, a lot of those books were kind of my introduction. Oh, and um, American Splendor. Harvey Picar. Yeah. So, like, that was the, the type of things that I, w- I was first reading when I started getting into indie comics. Um, so, again, different types of art um, and made me realize that there was more to comics than just superheroes and things like mm-hmm. that. I'm glad you mentioned Jeffrey Brown. Uh, it's a name that I don't think has come up yet on this podcast, uh, 27 installments in. But, uh, you know, Jeffrey Brown was a big deal for me as well as a college comics reader. And I, I can't think uh, offhand of another comics artist, at least another, like, indie comics artists who's had a, a stranger career trajectory probably than than Jeffrey Brown going from those books like Clumsy and Unlikely all the way to the probably multiple Star Wars uh, yeah. Star Wars books now, which is wild. Yeah, it, it has been interesting to see that trajectory. And I think it like reading those books like were the right thing for me at that time, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I actually... So I remember writing to him when I was first getting into making comics more seriously, and like we exchanged a few like letters back and forth. He was super encouraging, and I used to send him my minis. So he he's a nice guy, and it's it's been interesting, like you said, to see like what he's doing now and how like different it is, but also his style is still like re- recognizably his. For sure, yeah. I you know I think of, about those books like Clumsy and Unlikely, and they, they were the perfect thing for me at a certain time. I think if he were still making books like that, and I were still hungry for books like that, we probably we both of us would not be in great places in our lives. <laughs> but but it's awesome yeah. to hear that he was yeah. so so encouraging and so gracious too. Yeah. All right, I'm going to ask you a brand new question on the list now, uh, which I think is here to stay. We'll see. Uh, but it's inspired uh, in part by reading ghost stories. Looping back to a piece like Wallpaper, I I really enjoyed the way uh, meaning accumulates in a gradual way reading that piece and uh, the way it requires readers to really do some work. You know, it's it's a comic, I think, that demands a certain amount of 
of, of readerly participation. So I, I was curious, how much do you think about readers when you're making a comic? Good question. So, I, I mean, readers are always in my mind to some extent. I mean, I feel like if I was not thinking of readers, I would probably just, like, do it for myself, like my friends, and I probably wouldn't share it with anybody. But, um, yeah, it's hard because I don't know if I always have, like, a specific person in, in mind that I'm writing for. I'm trying to write for, for someone, I guess, who is interested in exploring some of the thing, same things that I am because generally when I'm working on a piece, I'm trying to work something out, and mm-hmm. I'm hoping that, you know, whoever picks up that piece has a general has shares some interest in you know whatever the topic was, and I you know I realized like you said like with wallpaper is challenging because there's really there's no pictures of people there's no like physical pictures of people talking it's all driven by these like patterns so with that one now that I think about it I don't know if I had a specific person in mind I just wanted someone that would understand generally what it's like to be a child and to be confused about things that adults are doing and you know trying to make sense of things when you have limited information mm-hmm. and i think that's something that people can relate to since they've been you know kids before by the time you've reached the end of a piece would you say there are you know certain things you most hope that a reader takes away from a work you know when i think of the the collection's first story for instance you know ghosts builds to some intensely personal pages and you know en route to those there are mentions of charles darwin mentions of, of joseph campbell you know there's a real mix of the personal um and the sort of uh, pedagogical almost so i i'm curious if you ever have a goal in mind in terms of what you want a reader to take away from a work so yeah i mean i, I usually have a, a general point that I want someone to take take away and I mean in that case with Ghost I don't know Ghost was something that I needed to do at that time so I guess personally it was something that I was trying to work out like feelings around you know what I was writing about mm-hmm. but I, I, I guess like you brought up how the main character talks to uh, Charles Darwin Joseph Campbell and then you know their last encounter it's something that's a lot more personal and deals with trauma and I think in that case I wanted to do a piece about how sometimes like when we're dealing with trauma or difficult situations we tend to intellectualize things uh-huh. it's almost easier to do that than to be really honest with yourself about your feelings and I think so that's what I was trying to address in there and like when I when I wrote that piece like it was with the overall hope that this would get into the hands of other people who had experienced sexual assault or any type of assault and I was hoping that it would kind of help them feel like they were less alone in those experiences. Um, that was the goal. I wrote it in 2015, so it was before the Me Too movement, and now I feel like if I were writing it, it might feel different than when I was writing it back then, and I wasn't seeing a lot of that in like comic form. Sure, fewer points of reference or sort of sympathetic works in, in the orbit around you. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I think it was more of a taboo topic to talk about at the time, um, or there was more stigma around it. Just like, you know, in recent years in comics in general, there's more addressing of certain issues around mental health and other, mm-hmm. other things like that. I think it's becoming more of a, a conversation that we're, we're all having, but, like, I, I don't think that was necessarily always the case. But like you mentioned, like, yeah, with that story, I did have, I guess, a reader in mind. Other than, like, working it out for myself, I was hoping to reach other people that might benefit from it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure it will. Yeah. And uh, let me ask you our sixth question now. What's the closest you've come to quitting cartooning? I'm sure there's been a few points. But um, a few years ago, I was hanging out with a friend who 
recounted something that another cartoonist who I respect said about me. They said that like my ambition exceeded my talent and um, that felt like a, a real blow. Um, not only because I respect the person, but because like, I don't know, like it was both like just upsetting because I felt like they were not understanding what I was trying to do with my work. But I also, I think that whenever something like stings like that, it's because there's some grain of truth that's bothering you. And at the time I was thinking like, well, this person is like a lot more familiar with me starting off as a cartoonist. And I don't know if they're as familiar with the direction I'm going in, but I think there's always this thing when you're new to an industry and you have so much enthusiasm and you want to do everything and you want to say everything. And like, that was definitely me starting off in, in comics. And I think that I, I was ambitious and looking back, like, you know, there's that thing of, like, you don't know what you don't know. And then once you mm -hmm. start to ease it, but more you, you realize that gap. And I think that's a natural progression for most people. Um, so I think that goes without saying. So, yeah, I think after when I heard that, I went through a period where I was like really doubting myself. I was like, I'm not I'm not good enough. Like, I shouldn't be doing this. But at a certain point, it's like you realize like you're not doing it for that person. You're doing it because it's something that you enjoy and you feel like it's important. So, I, I, again, like, though, I think that like most people at some point in their career hear something that might set them back for a little bit. But if you care about it enough, you're going to you know keep going forward. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, not, not knowing the context in terms of specifics, with respect to ambition, you know, I think more often than not, the idea that another person's ambition is a bad thing, you know, unless the ambitious person there is, you know, stepping on other people or making the lives of other people worse somehow. You know, ambition, you know, is one of those things that goes hand in hand with just having a drive to create. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think you have to have some level to keep pushing through. Comics isn't an easy industry, you know. If you want an easy industry, there's, like, plenty of other ones, and comics is not that, both in terms of, like, how long it can take to get people to read your work, as well as, like, the financial aspects of it, the time aspects, and all of that. So I think that generally if someone's in comics for the right reason, it's because they really love it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I won't, I won't pry with respect to economic questions, but at this point in your life as a cartoonist, uh, what percentage or proportion of your life do you feel like you're able to devote to comics, you know, week to week or month to month? Yeah. So I, you know, in the past few months, I started working part time doing comics. Before that, I was working full time in another job and then, you know, fitting comics in wherever I could. Um, and now, you know, I work part-time in uh, an after-school program, and then I do comics in, like, the morning, early afternoon, which is ideal for me because I'm, like, a morning person. So I'm sh I feel, like, sharpest then. Um, mm -hmm. And But I also, you know, I, I have a lot of sympathy for, like, the fact that, like, a lot of people fit it in when they can because it's not it's not an easy industry even people who are super like what people deem to be super successful that doesn't necessarily mean that they're a making a lot of money or b have the time to to do it as much as they would like and our seventh question which is related to all of that potentially what's the best advice you've heard about making comics so this is kind of a, a two-part advice if thing if that's okay please um, I have like a one of my good friends who's a cartoonist and has been doing it longer than I have. I was, you know, a few years ago, I was I was getting pretty down on myself. You know, I felt like oh, my stuff like isn't looking like I want, and like people are saying that I don't, you know, draw super technically and blah blah blah, and maybe I should stop. And she was just like, you know what? She's like, one day 
you're gonna like look back once you get technically better and you're gonna like miss that certain spark of that certain life that your early drawings had she's like that's what always happens and um i I just found that i found that really interesting because it was almost a way of saying like your stuff has value even if it's not super technical like yet you're putting life into your work and like if that if you can see that life that's important and that's something you should try to hold on to um, just because something is super technical does not mean that it's necessarily like good art. And I found that to be like comforting mm-hmm. in a sense. And then the other thing she said, like when I was like getting discouraged, she's like, you know, you just got to keep showing up. She's like, just keep showing up. She's like, it's a, it's a long game in a sense. Um, not that I like to use the word game when referring to comics, but it's true in a sense. She's like, you know, a lot of folks, if they're feeling like there's a lot of barriers, they might end up leaving. Um, and you just got to keep, showing up and going to shows and, and meeting people and building connections and just making comics. She's like, and eventually she's like, you'll still be there and you'll still have a body of work. And that's like, like that was just helpful, you know, cause I was mm-hmm. like, even when I'm feeling up or down, like I just got to keep moving forward. In, so, yeah. in terms of like the technical aspects of art, what are the things you feel like are the challenges for you in terms of executing a story, or do they vary from story to story? I think it, I think it varies from story to story, and I, I also feel a lot more comfortable now than I did a few years ago, just in terms of trying to work towards playing up the things that I feel like I do well and then trying to either work, work around the things I don't feel confident at while also working to get better at those things. So, like, I don't like drawing... My least favorite things to draw are, like, buildings and cars and, like, things like that. I love drawing faces. I like drawing people. I love drawing, like, natural things. I like drawing patterns. Like, it depends on the project, though, right? It depends on the format of the project. Just like, you know, in my book, I, with all three stories, I tried to use different formats, one being more of a, a free-form thing, like something that would work as a scroll, one being more of a prose with, like, a picture book, and the other being more traditional panels. So, again, it, like, also depends on the format. Mm-hmm. And question number eight, what's the worst decision you've made as a cartoonist? I would just say, I think it's good to be mindful of contracts. Like I, I, I was in a situation once where I almost got involved with a project where I would have lost rights to my work. And it was something that was very important mm-hmm. to me and I ended up getting out of that situation. But I would also say, like, if you're getting a contract, have it reviewed by someone you know is, like, familiar with a spe- that specific type of law so that, like, you're aware of what you're getting yourself into. And I think that, especially when you're younger getting into comics and somebody offers you an opportunity, there's often an instinct to jump at it because you're like, I might not get another one. Right. Um, but often I think some uh, companies will look to exploit that because they know that there's a lot of people out there who are hungry and there's only so many so many offers um so i I think that you know a lot yeah it's made me like examine things a lot closer and to be more careful with what i commit myself to sure and we talked a bit about horror earlier but i'm curious uh, in terms of other influences our ninth question question number nine is what work from another medium has influenced you the most so I, I really like documentary film. Even before I went into comics, it was something I had wanted to do is to make documentary films. And I, I think they've definitely influenced a lot of the uh, my approach, especially to nonfiction comics. So if I had to name a specific film, um, I would say Encounters at the End of the World by Herzog. Sure. Um, it's about these, like, the pe- people who work in Antarctica like government workers and all sorts of people and like it just kind of follows them and 
as they discuss like why they're in Antarctica and there's beautiful footage of like you know under the water and like the music the score is beautiful and it just feels like really I don't know the, the mood of it is just really like beautiful and I love all of her top stuff but I would say that uh, documentary film has definitely influenced especially like the work I do for the nib where I like to explore um, mm-hmm. you know a variety of issues uh, I think I've always kind of writing those with that sort of that feel in mind you know I, I'm glad you mentioned that particular uh, Herzog film because I'm, I'm a fan of that as well and uh, I like him as a documentarian because you know any documentary obviously is you know a version of reality you know it's a, a set of circumstances filtered through the subjectivity of the filmmaker and and even if Herzog has become you know this sort of I don't know, like meme or, or cultural teddy bear or something because his personality is so outsized now. One one thing I like about his films is that there's, you know, you both get insight into a world or a situation, but there's no mistaking the film itself for anything except the product of a very specific person, a specific way of viewing the world, which I think is something yeah. which I, I like out of a documentary. I totally agree with you, and I, I think he's always been pretty transparent of, like, this is a story that I'm telling, this is the way I am choosing to edit it or to, you know, to craft it. Because, yeah, like, documentaries, just autobio, like, anything else, like, nonfiction comics, it's a series of choices that the person is making to display, you know? It's it's a story that, that it's ultimately a form of storytelling, so it is just as thought out, in a sense, as is fiction or any, anything else. And I like that's what I think of when I'm when I'm doing nonfiction. And again, mm-hmm. it's a, a series of things that I'm choosing to include to make a point ultimately. So yeah, that's that's I guess why I would think of his films. And our final question, question number ten. I'm tempted momentarily to try and say this in a Herzog voice. I won't. I will spare you and the listener from that experience. Uh, aliens have made contact with Earth, and they seem benevolent, but we still want to make a good impression. You've been selected to introduce them to comics. What do you show them first? Uh, um, <laughs> I think I would choose How to Be Happy by Eleanor Davis. Sure. Um, that would be my first choice. Um, and there's, you know, there's a lot of other comics that I would consider. But I think, I don't know, it's visually beautiful. Um, I feel like it says a lot about the human condition. I think that it's both, it's sad, it's wistful, it's um, its complex. And I love that it's short story. It's like a series of short stories in a, sen- in a sense. So like it kind of gives a variety of different perspectives and different right. storylines. So yeah, it, the thing that ultimately draws me to a graphic novel, I think, is like the mood of it and like the way it makes me feel. And I, I feel like there's something very human about that book. And I think that that would be my choice. That's a great answer, I think. You know, even even with the more somber parts in that book, I, I think it, it makes a good case for humankind. Yeah, I agree. I think it's ultimately like a positive, yeah, a positive story thing. Look. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that is the end of the list. Thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you for having me. This is really fun.